You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, did you know that 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to a lack of communication during projects? The team over at BuildBook has solved that problem once and for all with a tool that keeps all the conversations and decisions between you, your team, and your clients in one place. Their simple, powerful app helps you create daily logs, schedule and manage your client tasks, keep track of selections, process change orders, and so much more. I met the BuildBook team in Vegas at IBS earlier this year, where they were chosen as a finalist for the most innovative construction tool of 2020, which is saying a lot considering how many tools are actually out there. If you're looking to remove the stress from your projects, make your clients happier, and increase your profits, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. There's absolutely no risk to try it. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 to take advantage of the trial and score the 45% off. This deal isn't available anywhere else. So I recommend at least trying out the software. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, and welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. As always, I've got Wes and Brooks with me today. How's it going, guys? Great. Doing great. Very good. I'm doing good. Yeah, and uh, I know, Brooks, you're, you're probably super chilled out because you've just been in the, the canyon for like Grand a canyon, week or great something. Days. Yeah. yeah, super fun. Yeah. Very chilly. And there uh, is no cellular reception or Wi-Fi. So it's very pleasant. That's nice. Yeah. I, I don't quite know what that's like. Has, haven't had that happen in a while. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's a lot of parts of the country that don't have cellular service or Wi-Fi. And, and when you start traveling around a little bit, you're like, hmm, this place says it has Wi-Fi, but it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> this place says it has cell service and it doesn't. So it is pretty interesting. You get used to it living in the city, but a lot of places that don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that was nice. Well, while you were in the, the canyon, uh, I was talking to somebody this week and we were talking about goal setting and, and revenue goals for 2020. And you know, I said, hey, you know, what are your goals? Where, where are you trying to get to? And they said, well, at the beginning of the year, you know, this was our target. It was two and a half or three million or whatever it was. But then, you know, March, April hit. And now I don't know. And I realized after they said that, that that's been almost every single one of my conversations uh, lately is, is this idea of, hey, I had a goal. We had this big shock, a lot of change. 
and now I don't know what to think. And I thought that that would be an interesting uh, thing to get your guys' take on because we're always going to have change, but some things are, are like this that are much, much bigger and the magnitude is, is larger. But this idea of floating, I don't know, was an interesting one too, or just survival. And, and so anyway, we'll, we'll open it up, I guess. Uh, Wes, what do you think of kind of the state that we're in? How do you think about goal setting during a time like this? Yeah, well, I think your you know, original question was, hey, you know, what about your revenue goals? And I, I think I would probably, we tend to think about business a lot of time around, oh, yeah, I'm two and a half, I'm three million, I'm trying to get to three and a half for, I think in this type of situation, and I think this actually holds true for most situations, I, I would flip that around and I would always say, what are my profitability goals and what are my cash goals? Those, those two things, not what my revenue goal is, because you can make lots of money. I mean, you can have lots of revenue and still lose money. And so I, I think as the market goes up and down and, and things get better, they get worse. Lots of times we can build our overhead structures and other things around a particular volume and, and not be willing to change that. And so for me, I would say, just be focused on every month. Am I making money? You know, am I actually dropping money at the bottom line? How are my cash reserves looking? Because does it really matter if you're 2 million or 5 million? If you're 5 million and you're not making any money, wouldn't you rather be 2 million and dropping 8% or 10% to the bottom line or something or 5%? That's a much better place to be than, than double or triple the volume and not making any money. I don't know. Brooks, what do you, what do you think? I totally agree. Um, is Focus on your profitability, your net profit, are your numbers, what were your numbers, what they should have been for the industry standard. You know, there's the, there's the low end to the high end of industry standard of profitability. You know, in the home building business, it's somewhere between, you know, five is the low end, 5% NOI to 12%. And, you know, some builders even do better. And so for remodelers, it's, I think it's somewhat similar. And you should be focusing on that. You know, what is my profitability? And then how will I sustain that? And what are the new opportunities in the marketplace created by such a change? I, uh, you know, instead of just being, oh, well, I'm just, what do I do? You know, what do we do with the situation with COVID? It's like, look at the opportunities. That's a super sure. opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you can go high level on it and go, I mean, wouldn't it be better to take some course of action instead of just floating like, oh, okay, well, What's the opportunities for remodeling for work at home? You know, should I be focusing in on office spaces? Should I be working on, you know, recreational spaces where people want to spend time with their family? You know, outdoor, yeah, outdoor rooms. Yeah. yeah. You know, outdoor rooms are huge um, because of, of social distancing. ADUs are huge. Accessory dwelling units, either detached or attached, where you can, people can live or can work. There's a huge demand for that. Uh, because of the changes created by people working from home. So what are those opportunities? And you just have to switch and say, well, you know what? Bathrooms were great last year, but it's outdoor rooms and ADUs, accessory dwelling units, things like that. That's what's hot right now. And, and meet people with whatever need they have. I mean, if you're in the spec home building market, huge opportunities because people are are more interested in living in detached or attached housing, but not living in maybe a concrete apartment situation. So a huge opportunity to, you know, build better product for that. So 
I like when you said float, I almost I couldn't believe I just heard that. I was like, float. How does that work? You can't. Float. Yeah, I don't know that it works that well, but um, yeah, I, th- I think it's. I think there's just a lot of uncertainty. That's what it feels like, you know. And sometimes I think that uncertainty leads to inaction. Like you said, you'd rather be doing something, and and I think that's just what I'm hearing. You know, people kind of they're moving forward. You know, they're doing what they can, but they've kind of. I think when you think about like a goal, they go, well, you know, it's kind of got this asterisk next to it or whatever, you know, where they're going, well, if we don't hit it, you know, it's because of this or, you know, that's, it's some sort of justification for it is kind of the, the tone that I'm feeling. You can justify and say, hey, we didn't hit it. Okay, fine. What's the new goal? What are you going to do to hit that goal? I mean, instead of having this rolling asterisk, well, it's just not going so great. Or, or, or make sure that it's a, it's a critical goal. I mean, like with that, revenue may not be a critical goal, but cash and profitability might be critical goals. And okay, what do we have to do to get after it and make sure that we're hitting those critical goals? Yeah, and I think that was a good point. It kind of feels like if you, you were at 2.5 and you set your benchmark for three or whatever you're chasing, you might just be running these, what will we do if we stay at 2.5, what will we do if we're at two to achieve our profitability and cash goals? Because like you said, the, those are the critical ones. The revenue could be a nice to have, but what are the adjustments you need to make so that no matter what that revenue level is, you still have a positive year um, in terms of just stepping forward. Yeah, I think the revenue side is to what Brooks was talking about, where you're, you're looking for those creative ideas and what is the market really looking for now? So trying to take yourself up to that 30,000 foot view and say, okay, how is, is society changing? What's changing about our family dynamic is, you know, what's going on here? What are the opportunities for me? And the better you do in identifying those, that will drive your top line number. So when you identify those ideas, that's a top line driver. And then everything else, the cash and the profitability is really, okay, how good of a job am I doing internally in delivering on that? So you can kind of break those two things apart, I think. I mean, a big take up like we're having right now really reminds us that, hey, you have to work on your efficiencies. You have to work on uh, focusing on, you know, how can I be the most efficient and have the best margin I can on the work that I do have? And if you can learn those things and, and make sure those become kind of a tenant of your business, you're just going to be more profitable your entire career. And you think about you know, every percentage point that you drop to the bottom line year after year after year, it's just you know that much better. Yeah, I, I like what you guys are saying, because I think that gives people some tangible things to think about if they feel like they're kind of in, in this limbo state of what do I do and, you know, reacting to the market kind of seeing what what's the need and that's where the opportunity is. So be aggressive there, try to push the top line. But if the top line doesn't get to where you want it, always maintaining that kind of critical internal look at efficiency and profitability and, and cash. So that's, yeah, that's really good. Hopefully that helps. And uh, yeah, I'll, hopefully I'll hear that less and less on the phone. But today I know we wanted to talk about this idea of kind of a company cabinet, I think, as you talked about at Brooks or a company board. I feel like I've heard this come up, you know, you hear it in a lot of books or just talking to different people and they say it's a good idea. I guess, Brooks, where do you start when you're trying to 
put something like this together? Well, there's a, there's a lot of different, you, know, you can do a lot of different research pretty easily on you know, size of boards or boards that uh, might work to the size of your company. And if everybody, you know, it depends on the size of the company. So a lot of times if you're a sole proprietor or maybe a couple you know, partners, you can start out with what I like to call it, you know, a kitchen cabinet, which comes back from the, the presidential days where we now have a cabinet for the president. But it started out informally as a, a kitchen cabinet where they would meet meet around in the kitchen and talk about, you know, problems of the of the day. So that could be an informal group of people that you just respect in the industry or out of the industry, but in business that could give you support and feedback. And it could be as simple as identifying three or four people that might be able to give you input and, and approach them and say, hey, would you be willing to, you know, if I host a dinner, you know, sit around and, and uh, give me some of your thoughts based on my business. And, you know, it can become as informal as that or more formal. I, I don't know, Wes, what do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great way to start. You know, you talked about kind of came from the kitchen cabinet. I think on the business side, I think. Henry Ford might have had one of the earliest kitchen cabinets or eventually sometimes the phrase came out eventually calling that a mastermind. So, and, and the concept really was, Hey, I'm going to get two, three, four, five, six, you know, the number is a little bit irrelevant, but I'm going to get a group of people together that are all like-minded in the sense that they are all positive and supporting where I am trying to go with my company. And I can use all those people. If we're all focused on the same goal, then they can really be helpful to me in driving my business forward and providing some different perspectives. So I think that's the key is that as you're starting to think about, hey, I'm going to put together a group of people. One of the things is, are they like-minded? You know, are they, are they interested in helping you? And, and usually they are. If they accept to go on it, you know, they're, they're usually interested in helping you, but it's possible that they wouldn't be. And so make sure they're like-minded. And then I think after that, it's more of what are my weaknesses? Where, where do I need help? And then I would be looking for those kind of people first to be on that cabinet. What do you, what do you say, Brooks? Well, yeah, I would agree. And I would, you know, how do you, how do you implement it? How did you just say, gee, I feel like I'm out here by myself. I don't have any support. I'm trying to figure this out. And, yeah, you don't have that many connections or something like right. that. Yeah. And so it can very easily start with ask, you know, take the idea you have there, Wes, which is you're trying to find some, you know, some like-minded people that would support you. It can be just start with asking your vendors or suppliers or, you know, let's say you, you buy from the local lumberyard and, you know, who's the owner of your local lumberyard? Larry Lumber, I don't know, it might be, but he might own 10 lumber yards. That's a guy who could really help you understand how to, you know, grow your business. And when you just have your one remodeling business or home building business, and he'd be, you know, most likely be interested. So it's thinking you would certainly know somebody and um, he's not, he would know somebody. Yeah. Right. So it's just thinking of if you just went through your payables list who do I pay every month? You probably say, well, gee, I, you know, the local plumber, but he's a bigger plumber, you know, and so you could work your way, you know, through that and you could end up with people, you know, mostly likely, you know, if you have someone on your kitchen cabinet that is a supplier or vendor, 
can make it more difficult if you had to change suppliers or vendors. But if it's at a higher level and those entities are bigger, it's not so much, you know, so critical. I think you can also tap your customers. So yeah. if you start thinking about the universe that you swim in, so Brooks's point is a great one about going to your vendors and finding someone who obviously they want you to be successful. So that's a great reason to have a vendor on there. Certainly someone who's been in business longer than you and probably bigger business and has a different perspective on some part of your business. But I think customers can be, if you've got a great customer that you've managed to develop a good relationship with, then that can be a good one. I think another one might be even competitors. So Brooks and I serve on a board where we definitely have some of our competitors, but not within our market area. Co-competitors. I mean, they're co-competitors, competitors, but there we're not, you know, we don't run in the same circles all the time. So it's more to be gained than, yeah, than lost there. Sure. So sometimes you can bump into those folks if you belong to a trade association or something like that. But that's always good because they're, they're doing the same thing you're doing and they can learn from you as well. And so they can look at that as a very positive Thing. Let it go to your associations if you're if you're if you if you're of a size where you're 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 not ready to travel to you know the national national association of home builders or remodelers or something like you know because it's just too big of a stretch. Then uh, your local chamber of commerce you know has something. Rotary would have something where you interact with you know people. So you'd have to. Be willing to invest a little bit of time to try to get know, get to know some more of these people in your local business community, and you want to find people that I think that are that are in, I guess, like Wes said, like minded. You know, they're in business; they they understand business to start with. I, I think, think so. one one group that I would Brooks may totally disagree with this. I don't know, but I would there, there's a group I would not put on the board, and that group would be professionals. So I wouldn't put anyone on the board that you can pay for their expertise. So I wouldn't put my accountant on the board. I wouldn't put my attorney on the board. I wouldn't put anyone like that who's a professional because if you're really putting them on the board for that kind of input, I would get somebody who's more in business or, you know, a vendor or customer, something like that, and then just simply pay for those high level inputs that, that you need. You know, on a case, I probably even I probably wouldn't put a lender on the board either, just because your lending is so it can be very critical. And if you have a lender on, maybe it's your lender, and you're having challenges. You don't, you know. (laughs) And lenders all talk, and and lenders all talk. So if you're in a town and there's three banks, guaranteed, all three of those loan officers are talking and they like, Hey, you know, we're loaning to Bob. He's it looks like he's having trouble and everybody just you know, pulls back. So I wouldn't put a lender on my board at all. And I totally agree with Wes. Is that, yeah. Professionals, you can get good tax advice, good legal advice and, you know, pay for that. And, but you want business people that can really understand your troubles and I'm having trouble with profitability. I'm having trouble with cash flow. How do I, you know, grow my revenue side? So, Brooks, would you say that there's a particular benefit to staying within the industry or going outside the industry for board members, or does it not really matter too much? That's a good question because I, you know, 
a big proponent of Builder 20 and, and Remodeler's Advantage having been that contributed a lot to our success. So it was within the industry. And I know that, you know, there's the, um, I'm trying to blank it on the name for the CEO uh, mastermind group that they have, uh, Vistage. That's a, so that's one where you get the really professor getting this, you know, kind of board of directors and professionals can come in and give talks. You know, I haven't been in that kind of group, so I don't know having from all different industries whether that's as helpful as the same industry. Because you know, so I don't know, Wes. What do you think? Yeah, I, I have had, um, I have been part of some of those groups where you do have people from various industries, and I think I wouldn't load up with too many folks from outside your industry. It might be good to have one person. It would just depend. What I find is that that every industry has kind of a structure to it. It has a cost structure. It has, you know, there's there's some things about the industry that if you're spending a lot of time bringing a board member up to speed on your industry, or you know, or if they're having to come up to speed on it, then they're not going to be that helpful to you during that period of time. That being said, every once in a while, a fresh set of eyes from outside the industry goes, I don't know why you guys are doing that, you know. I mean, that, that's something you could cut out very easily, or you could do it a different way. And so I think they can be helpful. I'd, I'd be pretty careful about who you bring on from outside the industry, just because sometimes it can be so different for them that they just have a hard time, you know, really getting into your into your space in a, in a helpful way. But, and of course, it brings up a good question, which is size, mm-hmm. which is how many people, and if and and how many people can you deal with and you know manage? You know, sometimes if, you, if anybody's been on a nonprofit board, you know, and there's 20 board members, and you're like, well, if you're if you're on the board, you're like, well, what am I doing here? How can I contribute? So that gets so big. Whereas two people isn't really probably not enough. So I, you know, I think somewhere between five to seven, you know, seven if you're counting yourself would be. Good. If you can only get three, then that's better than nothing. But I think, I don't know, five seems to feel like a pretty good size. If you're really just trying to get down to brass tacks and have good conversations about numbers. You've got to have enough time for everyone to, to provide their input. And exactly. you can't spend too much the meeting just managing the meeting. Right. Sure that people can speak. And so I, I think Brooks is right. That's a, for a kitchen cabinet, a pretty optimum size is, you know, yeah, four to four to six. You know, probably yeah. Yeah, not not counting you. Yeah, and I want to get get back to like size and how you structure the meetings and and some of those things. But it occurred to me as you're talking about kind of keeping people within the industry as much as possible, but maybe having one person that's outside the industry and kind of getting those fresh eyes. I feel like it's interesting because I kind of came into more of the construction world from more of the digital marketing technology kind of space uh, had the awareness of the construction side, not to the level of detail that you guys grew up with and participated in that business. But I feel like I can sometimes see that the technology trends or how things are happening in other industries and go, Oh gosh, like construction is way behind here. That might present an opportunity. And so maybe, maybe a great one is if you can find somebody that, 
had construction experience and then they, they move to another industry or they've been in, in both because then they have that context, but they also have the outside perspective. And that's probably rare, but, you know, but I don't know. I feel like that's helped me in just being able to see some things earlier or faster then maybe you see it when you're. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about you know like the marketing perspective of going. Okay, I'm I'm getting a marketing company. You know, if I have a person from a marketing company or ad agency or something like that, they might have a different perspective on my industry, just and how you get out and, and meet customers. If you've followed Builder Funnel for even a little bit, you know we're huge believers in the inbound marketing methodology. One of the most important phases is the client delight phase. By delighting customers, you turn them into promoters of your business and your brand. The only way to get people to go out of their way to sing your praises is to wow them throughout the process. This is something the guys over at BuildBook are helping you do. Better communication leads to better outcomes. And that means communication at every level. Daily logs, client selections, punch lists, and change orders. Today, that communication gets super fragmented between email, text, and phone calls. And inevitably, things fall through the cracks. With BuildBook, everything funnels through one simple app, keeping everyone on the same page and your clients filled with delight. No more digging through texts or random emails looking for client approvals. Just one place to see everything going on with a project. And as a reminder, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, or even just something that's more involved with tech or just any area of the business, but they might just be more progressive in that industry for whatever reason. No, that's a great point. And uh, it also brings up the just the idea of of age range or experience range. And so age doesn't necessarily mean you have a lot of experience, but it, it, a lot of times it, it can. And, and may you may want someone on there who's, got a great depth of experience. So it's kind of seen all, all the problems that have come in the past and there's going to be new problems, obviously. And then maybe some youth, which has some of that energy, like, well, try this, try that. What about this idea? Which is helpful too. You know, yeah, if that's a good point. Everybody, everybody's the same age. It's like, well, they like, kind of have the same bandwidth of knowledge. Yeah. So having kind of a mix of experience and, and age is probably beneficial because the, age and wisdom can maybe, you know, slow down and pump the brakes on the, the energy, but then you do get the, the ideas and hopefully you find a nice middle ground there where you're pushing forward, but not making some big mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone in their twenties, you know, that's <laughs> set of problems. If everyone's in their sixties, that's a whole nother set of problems as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's how to be as a, if you're the owner and you're trying to run this cabinet, it's, it's allowing time as Wes said for everyone to be heard. And then providing feedback. Oh, I've heard what everybody said, and then here's my plan of action based on all that input. And uh, as, as much as your, I think your your the level of engagement you'll have from your your board members or your cabinet members are going to be based on how you take their input and move it forward. You know, if you if you just ignore them all the time, well, then you know, why the heck did you do it? Yeah, that's a good point. You got to at least act on some of the the outside advice or input. Otherwise, they're just sitting there feeling frustrated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's 
Yeah, I was just thinking about that. And I think, you know, as you think about how to structure your meeting, a good place to start is, hey, this is what happened since last time. You know, this is what I did based on what we talked about last time. And, you know, this is, this is, uh, so you give that little recap and, and everyone goes, okay, you know, it's worthwhile to show up to provide my input, whether you're getting paid or not getting paid. And then, um, and then jump into the topic of the day. Yeah. So how have you guys typically structured, you know, the meetings, either like length of the meeting, how often do you meet and, and those types of things to really get the most value, but also be really aware of your board members time and, you know, making it efficient for them. I've got it. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> I know I asked like four <laughs> questions and left it open-ended. So. <laughs> well, Answer all of them right now. Yeah. In terms of frequency, I would say not any more than once a month and probably not any less than once every quarter because once a month can seem like a lot for people sometimes, but if your business is young and growing and lots of things are going on, you may need that input once a month or once every two months. And so that rhythm might work pretty well. For a more established business, I think probably once a quarter is okay, especially if things are clicking along pretty well. If you go longer than once a quarter, there's no connection. There's no continuity. People don't remember from the last meeting. It's just too long. So I don't know. I'd say kind of that range. What do you think, Brooks? I, I would agree that I think if you're young and you're growing, things are pretty dynamic and changing. I go once a month and, and and task yourself with, you know, generating your financials and sharing your financials and saying, hey, here's what we did. Here's what we thought we were going to do and, and report out. Because that's part of what you're looking for is someone to hold you accountable when, you know, it's hard to hold ourselves accountable at different times. So once a month is is pretty good. It's a lot to ask, especially if it's a volunteer board, which may mean you may have to, you know, pay a little bit. I would do no less than quarterly. I, even I find quarterly, you know, engagement can be lower based on, oh yeah, what happened last time and what's going on. And, you know, cause people are busy with their own businesses. Yeah. A lot happens in three months. A lot happens in three months. And um, then I think you get a kind of less engagement in a way. Maybe if you went with a once every two months, that might be might be a happy medium. Might be a happy medium. Yeah, it is it is a balancing act. Depends on how how busy your kitchen cabinet is on a personal level. They're super level. busy and they're gonna show up quarterly and they'll have read everything you gave, you know, if you presented everything a week ahead of time, they'll have scanned it, maybe spent an hour on it. And they'll be there ready to kind of engage at that moment. But they may not have dug much deeper than that because they're running full tilt. I suppose it, it sounds like it might just depend on the agenda of the meeting and the frequency, kind of how you structure that. Because if it's quarterly, you probably want to dig into more stuff. But if it's every month, you might just have a one or two hot topics of the month. Like these are my big problems. Or I, I guess in thinking about some of the boards that you guys have participated in, Wes, what, what have you found are things that have worked well in terms of structure, timing, and, or things that you would avoid? Yeah, I, I think one of the things I would avoid is making it a report out session. So if you spend all your time, you're just you know, regurgitating information about the company, what's going on to the board, 
and then they just make comment on that or they, you know, they don't. That's kind of a waste of time for everybody. I, I liked the point that you just made, Spencer, which is you pick one or two hot topics, and that's probably going to be the most helpful to you as a business owner. Say, okay, you know, so maybe you take first 10, 15 minutes of the meeting, let everyone just kind of socialize a little bit, get kind of get into the groove. And then after that, go in, maybe spend 10 minutes talking about what's gone over since the last meeting, you know, do, do some reporting out, um, even if you've provided them with all that information up front, and then make sure that you've got, you know, one or two things that you really need to solve that you really need help with and really dig into those things. And so you have enough time to go deep enough on it instead of just kind of ping-ponging across the surface and, you know, not getting people's really in-depth thought on it. And I think part of that too is also letting them know what you're going to talk about in advance so they can actually think about it because they may have great input, but if they haven't had a chance to think about it and process it, then you're just not going to get the full benefit from that meeting. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think the, you know, getting out whatever information you want to have them review at least a week ahead of time, you know, electronically and um, then have your agenda and, you know, you have the agenda be consistent, you know, and that, Hey, yeah, there'll be a little bit of reporting out and you may have, you know, a couple comments about that report, which is, Oh, Hey, we totally failed here or we had a great success here. And then like to discuss, you know, these two or three items. And that's what I really need help with. And I think, it's asking for the help because that's what people want to do. They want to help. And, you know, that's why they're really there, you know, regardless of, of payment, you know, it's, if, if they think they're helping somebody, you know, people like to help and yeah, it's nice if you get paid to do it. But if, if you show up and, and you try to provide help and you get ignored every meeting, then your interest level goes down and just pick up your check and, you know, Hit the door. There's nothing worse than, than giving your advice month after month and just having to go into a, a void. I think the other thing too is by by sending out the stuff a week in advance, like Brooks was suggesting, and making sure that you do run the meeting in an organized way and move through it, it's it's honoring their commitment to you. And you know, if you if you roll in and throw some stuff on the table and, oh, man, I got this problem, and, and then it just becomes a session of, oh, this is what happened today, and, you know, what do you think? That's not fair to them, and I think you'll find that they won't stick with the board very long. And I think you find by, by doing regular reporting and having that rigor, your business just gets better because you have to report. I, I You know, I always find... Uh, when I have to report out to our lenders, you know, for our covenants, you're like, oh yeah, okay, well, you know, it gets <laughs> you get a little bit more focused. If you don't have to report out, you're like, yeah, okay, well, didn't do as well as we thought, you know. Oh well, but yeah, yeah. saying what gets measured gets done, and yeah. and that's certainly true. True here. That just made me think, Brooks, as you were talking about that. I mean, really, as business owners, you don't you're not really answering to anyone. And so if you've got that board and you have to go share, you know, that was your homework. Like I'm going to work on these problems and I'm going to solve them and I'm going to take your advice or, or I'm not every time, but I'm at least going to move forward on these. Then that adds that level of accountability that, you know, most of us don't have on a regular basis. And you kind of get that like feeling like, Oh, I got to get this done before the deadline. You have a deadline and a homework assignment. And so it helps you move the ball. (laughs) 
I would say one thing about that is that don't, since you are reporting out and you're feeling, oh, I need to, to present this information, don't let pride get in your way and destroy the purpose of the kitchen cabinet. And that's pretty easy to do because no one, you know, none of us personally ever like to look bad, right? Everyone always wants to present themselves in the best possible light. And so if you sugarcoat what you're reporting out to your kitchen cabinet or what you're talking about, you know, to make yourself look a little bit better and feel a little bit better about something, then you're really not going to get any benefit from that. And people see through that pretty quickly. And then you're going, well, you know, what's the purpose of this? That's a bunch of BS, right? You know, what's the... Exactly, right. Yeah. You, you, have to, you have to show that vulnerability, which is why you're doing this. You know, you're just getting cabinet to, and to be vulnerable and say, gee, I, you know, I screwed this up. As far as I can tell, I really screwed this up. And this really affected profitability or I don't know what the heck I was thinking here. And it's a, it's a, it's a place, it's a safe place if you have the right people on the board. Like, hey, you know, hey, I've been there. Because they'll say, oh, yeah, I've done that too. <laughs> and, uh, and that's why you really can't do that with a lender on your board because if you screwed something up, they, you know. But it's the rigor of having to report out, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And being vulnerable, like Wes says, which is, hey, yeah, this did not go as planned. And, you know, here's what I'm struggling with now because of that. And we had that a lot. We used to have to report quarterly to all of our lenders. And you're always, you know, working pretty hard because you, in that case, you did have to, you did want to present good numbers so you could, you know, continue with your line. But sometimes you had bad numbers. So you had to present bad numbers, say what went wrong. And, and say what your plan was to rectify it. In this case, with a kitchen cabinet, you could say what I did wrong, how it did not go as planned. Here's your thoughts. And, you know, hey, kitchen cabinet members, what should I do? <laughs> Here's my, my ideas. And that's where you're going to get real, a lot of great power. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that about just the ego piece because I was thinking about a roundtable. It was a Remodelers Advantage roundtable that I sat in on and everyone gets some focus time, you know, an hour where you're kind of in the hot seat and the you could easily tell because they lay it out at the beginning, like ask your questions and then just shut up and let the other people talk. And you can easily see the people that are they, they start getting a little feedback and then they start defending everything they've done and they eat up half of their time talking and defending. And so I think that's a really powerful point about just not letting ego get in the way. Like be frustrated internally, but just keep your mouth shut and go vent later if you have to or def defend yourself later, but use that time. Like that's what you're, you're either paying them or you've asked them to give their time. You know, you might as well just you know, listen, and then, you know, you can always do what you want later. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, you're, you're most likely a sole proprietor and entrepreneur because you have enough ego to say, yeah, I can do this. And, and so that's why you're doing what you're doing. So you have to, as you mature in that job, in that position, you're like, okay, well, yeah, I don't know everything. And that's why I'm here for feedback. You say you have to be humble enough to sit there and go, yeah. And uh, I've been enough, you know, builder 20 where you, you list, you watch people just not listen. And I've been guilty of it myself too, where, and made some mistakes where people, you know, were giving me a message, probably not as direct as I needed. You know, they were trying to 
you know, as you become friends, then they soft, soft pedal a little bit and just saying, well, you're full of crap. This is not going to work. <laughs> and that's really what you're asking for people to help you with and just, you know, give it to you straight and can figure it out. And I think if you think about super high performers, whether it's in athletics or anything like that, even if you're at the very top of your game, you still have a coach, you know, you're always getting coaching. And so if you can go into these meetings thinking, you know what, I'm going to park my ego in the corner and I'm going to get some coaching because I want to improve my performance. And I think if you take that attitude, it's a lot easier to take those shots, you know, um, to your ego. Yeah, that's a good point. And a lot of, I mean, some people like to learn, but uh, you know, it's just the same thing too. Just go, you're going into a learning session where you're going to learn some new ideas, get some new new takes on things. One of the things that you guys had kind of touched on, but we didn't dive into, was compensation. And you know, as sounds like you know, some people are willing to just give their time, and then you know, maybe you're offering payment for for board members or the kitchen cabinet. I guess you could probably paid is dependent on the size of the business and all kinds of different things. I guess I'm curious if you've participated in both styles and if you felt like, do you get better input under one of those models or is it a more successful arrangement? You know, um, Wes, do you have any thoughts on that? That's a good question. I think, I think you can get good input from either model, but I think when you are paying somebody, you're really saying, hey, I value your time as an expert. And it also kind of sets up that reciprocity. So, you know, if someone's getting paid, then they're like, well, I really need to spend the time and deliver instead of, well, you know, I'm just volunteering. I can just kind of show up and, and do whatever. So I think if you can pay, I would encourage it because it'll make people feel better about committing their time and it doesn't mean that they wouldn't be willing to do it on a volunteer basis, but if you're really looking to run a kitchen cabinet for a long time and you're looking, you know, it is, you are doing a money-making endeavor. You know, if it was a nonprofit, that might be different, but you're, you're trying to make money. And um, so they should participate in that. I think it doesn't have to be a huge amount. It just has to be something to make them feel okay about it. Brooks. You may, you could probably do some pretty quick research. Yeah. And- out what would be equitable for the size of company you have. And, and it's going to be, I totally agree with Wes, is you should pay something because you're, you know, you're exchanging their knowledge. Uh, you know, and maybe if you're starting out, like tech companies, when they go, when they're starting out, people go on the board because they've invested in the company or they're brought on and they're given stock in exchange, you know, ex- even if it hasn't gone public yet. So they're like, hey, I'm here, I'm invested. I may not get paid for five years until we go, this thing goes public, but there's an exchange for that, that knowledge. So if you can afford to do something and figure out a number that's, you know, that you can handle, you know, but I, yeah, I know it's an interesting question. If you're going to have a four hour meeting or a three hour meeting, I would think you'd have to pay somebody at least 500 bucks to show up. Yeah. And Just but to, to that point though, Brooks, I guess that raises the question of how long should the meeting be? Yeah, I, I, we hadn't talked about so, you know, if you're meeting once a month, I don't know, dude, don't you think you can keep it to a couple hours and maybe oh, I would think an hour, hour and a half, you know? Yeah, I was thinking more of a quarter. Gonna be, yeah, it might be in the evening or something or, you know, it's hard. So you don't want to make it this marathon session because at some point people go, I don't care what you're paying. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. Thursday night. Right. Um, Especially if they're not, you know, if they're not 
really don't have a lot of content and people are like, oh man, I got to kill a Thursday night or Wednesday night. I kind of use, you know, 150 bucks an hour. You know, I mean, our, our attorneys now charge us 500 bucks an hour, which I think is, you know, crazy number. But a professional engineer or something like that is going to be 150 to 180 an hour. So I kind of use that as a rough guide. Like, well, you know, if I had someone here for a couple hours and I really valued what they were doing, you know, what's, and, uh, you know, what's that number? And so that maybe would give you a place to start. Use, use what do you pay your professionals? What do you pay an architect? What do you, and that might be a, something to think about. And, and you know, you're going to get so much more than that oh, out yeah. of these meetings. If you do it right, you'll, the return on investment will be huge. So I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be afraid of that. It's more just can I handle it from a cash flow standpoint, a profitability standpoint. Yeah, I think cash flow will go up by by using this. Yeah, um, if you keep to your time, so whatever your time limit is, don't don't abuse people by running past that time. Make sure that you are timely because they know that's okay. I will be home, you know, at such and such a time because I know that they always end right at you know, 7.30 or whatever it happens. Yeah, and if you can, I think if you can provide a meal, you know, if it's able, you're able to do it all together and, you know, meet around a conference table and provide something to eat, that always helps with dialogue and gets people a little bit more, uh, you know, I wouldn't provide alcohol. But I mean, in all seriousness, you know, it's, it's still business and it's not a social hour, uh, but it lets people, hey, I get to eat. Got to eat anyways. Yeah. Got to eat anyway. I'm, I'm missing dinner with my family. So, and, you know, people have a little bit more energy after eating and having some time to talk a little bit while they're getting going. It helps loosen the thing up. And, uh, and then people are home by 830 or something. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. It just made me think. I remember, you know, well, before this year, you get invited to to coffee a lot, you know, and I never... I never want to do coffee. I'm like, let's just do lunch because I'm going to eat anyway. And then we can be efficient about this. So like, I don't want to go kill an hour, you know, in the middle of the morning, my most productive time, like drinking coffee. So I think that's a good point. Like if you can structure it over a meal, then you're adding to the efficiency for that, that team, that board as well. I guess as we wrap up our discussion on the kitchen cabinet or the, the company board or whatever you want to call it, Brooks, any final piece of advice or thoughts on this for somebody that maybe hears this and they're going, okay, I'm going to start trying to assemble my team here and putting this together? I'd say two things. I think be willing, now that we had this discussion, I'd say be willing to pay something, look at your network. And if you think, I don't even have a network, then just look at every person you talk to every day and just make a list of, of who those people are and then start asking and you'll very quickly, in 30 days, you'd have a, a short list of, of people, my two thoughts. Cool. How about you, Wes? Yeah, my only advice would be just start, you know, just get it going. It won't be perfect, but it'll definitely be well worth your while. So, you know, even if you're going to fumble around a little bit, that's okay. Just just get after it. It'll be, be a good return on investment. Cool. Well, thanks guys for carving out the time and thank you all for listening. We will see you one week from now here on Building a Family Business on Builder Funnel Radio. 